The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so you've heard many different perspectives this morning so far, and it's time to talk a little bit about your own views on this and share with each other what's maybe been coming up for you this morning or what you've thought about for the last 10 years of your life, whatever time frame is relevant for you. We're going to have some small discussion groups now, a chance to break up and talk with um, some other people and also to meet some of the other folks who are here and interested in this topic. So the plan is that we'll be in groups of, hmm, I haven't counted the numbers, let's try for groups of four. And if there are some extra folks, it's okay if there's um, a group of three or five, depending how it works out. How about that? And if you're having trouble finding a group, uh, come to the front and we'll help get you placed. So actually, why don't you get in groups first and then we'll, uh, then we'll have the question. Okay, great. So the question for all of you to consider is what is your intention, motivation, or aspiration, you should say and or aspiration, in investigating lay renunciation? You know, what, what about this topic has captured your interest, has, you know, has brought you here today? However you want to interpret that is fine. And maybe what we'll do, we have about 15 or 20 minutes to discuss. So I would recommend that each person shares for two or three minutes without crosstalk. You'll get, everyone gets a chance to speak for a few minutes and then you can open it up and talk among yourselves. But let's let people kind of formulate their own ideas first. Okay, go ahead. We'll ring the bell at the end. So I hope that was of interest and that you had a chance to... I heard a lot of good energy going on there. And um, so we have all four of us up here now also. So this is a time to share comments from, you know, what were the fruits and the gems of what you talked about? What would you like to share with the group from that? And if you also have any final additional questions from this morning, uh, now would be a great time to share. Anyone? We have microphones. Yeah. I'm just wondering why there are 200-something rules for male monastics and 300 for women. I just thought I'd ask because I know someone else has thought that. I'll try, and then you can... Uh, so I'm sure a lot of you know that the way that the Vinaya was developed, the, or the Patimoka, the rules, the actual rules themselves, was completely situational. The, the Buddha did not hand down a completed code of conduct for monastics. Uh, things would arise, and he would respond. And um, so um, that was how it started developing for the monks, because at first it was men only. 
And then as women started ordaining, um, he saw that um, there were special situations that applied to women, especially in the cultural context, context of India 2,600 years ago. And that there were rules that were needed um, in part to protect the women um, that were different than the men. So, for example, women um, could... It was not safe for a woman to be alone in the forest. And whereas it would be safe for a man. So there were rules that developed for the women that had to do with not being alone in situations um, to protect them that would otherwise be dangerous for them. Um, So it's really cultural context in large measure that um, resulted in more rules for women than men. Did you want to add anything more? Just the other thing is that there's um, increasingly more scholarship, particularly by Bhikkhu Analyo, looking at um, both in the suttas and possibly in the vinaya, um, what rules might have been added later, you know, by editors, um, by other generations um, that uh, that might not have been there originally, that, that conflict with um, some of the, the ethos or the principles we find in other places in the teachings. So it's just worth holding in mind that um, we don't know really what, what there was originally 2,600 years ago compared to what we have today. I'd love to hear just some of the like aspirations and intentions and motivations that that you shared. So a couple of things that were interesting um, for me were uh, that things like eating are interesting from a practice point of view because we have to do it, and yet, you know, to watching that part that goes overboard with it. Um, so that was one aspect of it that's an aspiration is to watch how I live with respect to when I'm being mindful and when I'm in sort of getting attached or indulging. The other was holding um, uh, renunciation not as an austerity practice, but as a as a contentment practice, as a way of looking deeper at, you know, when something is difficult to uh, let go of, why, or what, what is really going on underneath that? Um... Well, I think it was just uh, just to share like a, a comment. It was just um, sitting with my group, like listening to everyone and their relationship to like what renunciation meant in their lives was very different. Um, so, which was just it seemed kind of uh, I guess fruitful to kind of think about and resonate with how that looks depending on where we're at at any point in our in our lives and in our practice so and different ways to think about it and and relate to it and even as you guys talked this morning it was like 
really helpful and kind of opening my mind and how I, how I can practice and renunciate in different ways and what that means to me and connecting more to it and not being so like, (laughs) so. Thank you. I think that brings up a very important point that renunciation is very multifaceted and that uh, it's actually helpful to talk about it with other people and then kind of pick up new ideas or resonate with certain things and understand that it's also you mentioned that it changes over time so like everything it's one thing I found on the path is that whatever I thought something was at the beginning it becomes something else later whether it's mindfulness renunciation wise speech these things themselves are not fixed and evolve I'd like to add something that I, I, I didn't and that we talked about a little bit in our little group, um, and that is we, we, we may have... Is that too? We may have a notion of what we think a renunciate looks like. And to be really careful of that, and I'll give you an example from my own experience. Manindraji was, uh, if he thought you were going to a store that you might be shopping, he would get all, oh, shopping? He wanted to go shopping. And I remember when Kamala told me this, what kind of spiritual teacher is this? Wants to go shopping? So I had my notion of what a renunciate was like. And only later did I find out that all these things he was shopping for, all these, and he amassed suitcases full of stuff. And it was all to give people in India who could not afford anything. So be careful, you know, when you think, oh, that person's not being a renunciate because they're, they're doing this or they're doing that or they're dressed a certain way or they use makeup or they dye their hair or they, who knows what, that you think, oh, that person hasn't renounced anything. And you have no idea what's going on inside that other person. Just as I was, really, I looked askance at Meninger then and I thought, this, how could this be, what kind of renunciate is he if he's fixated on shopping? So just be careful And I mean that not just in terms of looking at other people, but in terms of looking at yourself. Don't have this exalted notion of being a saint. Just be a, you know, Menindra always said, just be a real regular person. So on that note, um, we're going to practice lunch. <laughs> so this is our chance <laughs> to uh, consider some of the things we've seen this morning.